Welcome to Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, a podcast dedicated to conversations with members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints right here in North Texas. I'm your host, Eric Egan. Our guest on this episode is Matt Osborne. Matt is a Dallas native, a husband, father of two teenage daughters, and a convert to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He formerly worked as a CIA agent and is currently Director of Special Projects for Operation Underground Railroad, a nonprofit organization that exists to rescue children from sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. This episode is part one of our visit with Matt. We'll talk about his background and conversion to The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In part two, Matt will tell us about his career in the CIA and his current role with Operation Underground Railroad. Matt, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Eric. Good to be on. Well, our audience, I'm sure, would love to hear a little bit about you and your background. Where did you grow up and what was that growing up experience like for you? For your listeners in North Texas, and especially the great LDS community there, I can give a great reference point. I grew up next to the Dallas, Texas Temple, more or less. And some of you who know that that used to be called North Dallas. I mean, Forest Lane, Central Expressway, across from the original Medical City Hospital, that was North Dallas. And now I live way up north, as many people say, in Prosper, Texas, so north of Frisco and McKinney. Some joke, some of my friends in Dallas joke that it's Baja, Oklahoma. I'm so far north, but uh, <laughs> that's where I am now and was very blessed to uh, grow up in Texas. I love being a Texan. My uh, parents originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, but moved to Texas when my dad uh, was a pilot for this little startup company called Southwest Airlines. So a real blessing to be in the right place at the right time. And I uh, went to St. Mark's High School in the Hillcrest High School District. And um, again, it was funny, we playing basketball and football, we'd say, oh my gosh, we have to go so far north for our away games in Richardson and Plano, <laughs> and if your, your listeners know that. But uh, yeah, Texan through and through, other than a short government career, and then now back and loving, loving being back here. Growing up in that area and, and not being a member of the church at the time, were you aware of what that temple was and what it represents? So I just love how Heavenly Father works. So I grew up Presbyterian, a great religion, great uh, faith. A lot of my family members are still Presbyterian. And I grew up really with the love of God and, and, and thought that I you know, knew Jesus. Obviously, I came to, I think, really know him in, in our church. But uh, interestingly enough, before the Dallas, Texas Temple was dedicated, maybe early 80s, mid 80s, my Presbyterian youth group had the chance to tour the temple. So that was my first experience. I had maybe heard of Mormons and these crazy Mormons, right, as you hear. And, and yet I went to the temple and we had to put our booties on. I remember being a 12 or 13-year-old kid. It's funny what you remember. But I will tell you, Eric, even after all these years, I remember specifically the baptismal font, the oxen, the beautiful feeling in there. Of course, I didn't know at the time what I was feeling, but how interesting now this pattern of circles to have been in the temple as a visitor before it was dedicated. And then, of course, fast forward, gosh, what would that have been? You know, almost 30 years later to then actually go through the Dallas, Texas temple for my, you know, my first temple experience. Wow, what a neat thing to be able to look back and remember that. And of course, you had no idea the significance of it at the time. So <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> that's wonderful. So growing up in this area, not as a member of the church, what were your aspirations for your life in those years you were growing up? 
I had two loves. There were two career paths I thought would be neat. One was sports broadcasting. I was a sports fanatic, and so radio and television I thought would be pretty cool. And then the other was more international relations, uh, foreign languages, overseas travel. So I uh, got an, uh, my bachelor's degree in international studies from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, north of Cincinnati, where my parents were from. And so I had done a, a study abroad in Luxembourg and learned French and German and really enjoyed that. But I still wanted to scratch that sports broadcasting itch. So I actually had the chance to work for Fox Sportsnet and ESPN, behind the scenes mostly, camera, audio, stats, producing. Did that for a few years, but then I thought, you know what, I want to go overseas. I want to have an international career. So at graduate school, I went and got a degree at the Monterey Institute of International Studies out in California. It's now called the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey. And what will be interesting, we'll talk about, Eric, as you know, in my conversion story is I met an interesting gentleman there in Monterey who changed my life in terms of the gospel, but it was at the Monterey Institute where I was first um, first met recruiters from the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, and, and that, of course, was a huge thing for me. So definitely those two career aspirations in my late teens, early 20s. And so with that international relations then leads you on this path to the CIA and also somehow to the church. So in the year 2000, as a graduate student, I met a gentleman by the name of Tim Ballard, and some of your listeners may know him as a Deseret Book best-selling author. He's an amazing researcher, talks about American history, about the restored gospel, how these things are linked. And so he and I became fast friends. As he even joked, he said, Matt, at first when I met you, I thought you were a Mormon. I thought you were a member of my church. You just sort of had that feeling. And he was the one who first introduced me to the gospel. And I go oftentimes and give firesides and love doing this and talking to youth and others about this story because it's pretty hilarious. It shows Heavenly Father has a sense of humor because he takes a hard-hearted, thick-headed, you know, natural man like me and can do a lot with me. And he worked through Tim Ballard. And as Tim Ballard tells the story, he and Tim's a return missionary. He served his mission in Chile. So you can imagine the spiritual experiences he had. He said one night he was watching a show on the Bible, some history channel show in the Bible, and he got an impression more strong, stronger than he had ever gotten. And it said, call your friend Matt Osborne and bear your testimony to him. So Eric, I remember one night I'm with my wife and you know we don't have any kids at the time. And, and I get this call and Tim said, Matt, I got to talk to you. I said, well, Tim, as you know, we, we work at this think tank. We were, we were graduate research assistants. I said, so I'll see you at 3 p.m. tomorrow. He said, no, no, it has to be in the morning. So I remember meeting him at about seven in the morning on a street corner in Monterey, California. And as he would later joke, he broke every rule in the missionary training manual. Not one of these first <laughs> lesson, let's pray about it, second lesson, come back a few weeks later. He just laid it out. He said, Matt, I have to tell you what I believe. This is true. This Book of Mormon is the word of God. This man, Joseph Smith, was a prophet of God. And I remember saying, Tim, wait a sec. What's happening here? Whoa, hold on. I'm Presbyterian. I'm good. I love God. I love Jesus. You know, kind of giving him the cross sign, right? <laughs> you know, right. What, what are you doing? So I, I took the Book of Mormon just almost to get him to leave me alone, right? I said, okay, I'll read this. I'll read this. And then it just started this 13-year, I'm embarrassed to say, but it took that long, off and on investigation of the church and just really incredible stories that happened throughout. 
So it all started there in Monterey. And maybe let's just continue with this theme a little bit as your conversion story progressed. So that was 13 years. What happened in those intervening years? So what was really interesting, it just shows, right, that God's timing is not our timing and that God sees the end from the beginning. And so I was just a month or two away from doing an internship in Paris, France, working for the U.S. Department of State as an intern. And so it wasn't paid, so I couldn't afford to bring my wife. So I went for 10 weeks. So I said, well, look, I'm not going to go to a service in France, Catholic you know, cathedral where I didn't understand the language. So I'm going to bring a Bible and I guess I'll bring this Book of Mormon that this guy gave me. And then Tim also gave me the book, A Marvelous Work in a Wonder by LeGrand Richards. So some of you uh, listeners will know that you can, can sympathize. So I start reading this book and I read First Nephi and I think, wow, this is really cool stuff. This guy gets his head chopped off. There's this sword. This is really intrigue. He's got to go back and get the plates. This is great. Uh, this is cool. Then I get to Second Nephi in those Isaiah chapters, and right. I'm like, whoa, what, 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 what is this? I'm not smart enough to follow this. I'm sure a lot of you can uh, can sympathize <laughs> and empathize. So I put that book aside. I said, okay, I don't really know about the Second Nephi. I'm a little clueless, but I started reading a marvelous work and a wonder, and all of a sudden these things started making sense. It was an easier read. And all of a sudden, learning about LDS doctrine, it just made sense. Marriage for time and all eternity. Well, absolutely. I love my wife more than anything. We've been married now almost 25 years. And, you know, I went to my to my wedding video. I was married in 1997. So I pulled out a VHS tape, Eric. I put it in. I rewind <laughs> to the vows. And sure enough, it says, till death do us part. And yes. I say, well, son of a gun, words mean things. I've only committed till death do us part. And now all of a sudden, here's a faith that says I can be with her forever. Then I'm thinking, huh, modern day prophets, continuing revelation, an open canon of scripture. Absolutely. I love the Bible and always have, but I never thought that was all God has said or was saying or will say, man, this is cool. The great apostasy. Yeah, this all is making sense. So that was one part of my brain. Then the other part was saying, no way do you want to be a Mormon, man. Come on, you're cool. <laughs> you want to be in the CIA. You think so highly of yourself. You you love having a beer every once in a while with the boys. You love having a glass of wine with dinner. You, you like your morning coffee. There's no way you can do this. Well, again, Heavenly Father knows. And so over the next number of years, he put a bunch of Latter-day Saints in my path at the State Department. And then when I joined the CIA, and I would ask them all sorts of things. I would ask them crazy things that I had heard or read and, and really was probing, and their answers really started to make sense. So I said, okay, I'm going to read the Book of Mormon. Well, again, I get by First Nephi, can't get by Second Nephi, so again, I put it down. Now, I was investigating in the shadows a little bit here and there, kind of when I wanted to, not really making a big deal because I never thought this would be true. And of course, I made the mistake. I didn't tell my wife because I knew that her mom was against it and my mom was against it. And so I didn't tell anyone. Well, as I joke, finally, I turned 40 in the year 2012. And as I joke, I had a midlife crisis. Fortunately, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, a ditch the wife and buy a Ferrari and date someone half my age crisis. This was a crisis where, okay, I've got to get serious about this because over the past 10 to 12 years, 
I've met some of the most amazing men I can ever imagine, priesthood holders. These guys had these amazing things about them that just drew me in the light. They were the best fathers I could ever hope to be, the best husbands. They were good guys. But Eric, they believe some wacky stuff, man, right? And I'm saying, (laughs) so how can I square this? There's got to be something. Either these guys are totally duped and crazy or what they believe is true. So I finally, this midlife crisis said, Matt, you have to, you have to do this. You have to read the Book of Mormon. So I got through first Nephi again. I still love the story, the guy getting his head chopped off, right? And then second Nephi, I hate to admit, Eric, I, I kind of skipped it, right? But then I start getting into Mosiah and Alma. And all of a sudden things start happening. Now I don't know what these things are yet, these feelings. I'm like, I just feel really good when I read this book. Well, as Tim Ballard jokes, I'm a type A personality who doesn't go to uh, a supermarket to get a tube of toothpaste without saying, okay, what's in Colgate and what's in Crest? I mean, that meticulous. So you can imagine, and your listeners maybe, how I read the Book of Mormon. I was reading the footnotes. I was cross-referencing it with Bible and the triple combination of the Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. Well, easily and very quickly, I realized no way did some uneducated farm boy just make this up. There's no way in the world Joseph Smith could have just written this book himself, as many had told me he had, you know, as I'd read on the internet, all these things. So I knew that wasn't true. This this had to be divinely inspired, but I still didn't want to be a Mormon. I didn't want to live the word of wisdom. I didn't want to actually tithe 10% of my money. And back then, you guys might chuckle, I didn't want to give up my favorite Sunday pastime of watching not one, not two, but three NFL games on TV, <laughs> and instead trade that for attending not one, not two, but back then three hours of church. Right. Why would I do this? I, my life was great. I had had amazing childhood and an interesting career with the CIA and traveling the world and wonderful wife and two daughters. I didn't need this, but it was precisely because of all of these blessings that now I know Heavenly Father was saying, all right, pal, you know, you got to step up here. This is what I want you to do. And so it was finally that I realized that, okay. I had oftentimes been praying to know if these things were true. But looking back, I had the sincere heart. I really wanted to know. I wanted to know if it was true. Basically, as an intellectual exercise, then I just go somewhere else. But I realized back then I did not have the real intent, which is vital. You have to have the sincere heart and the real intent to know if it's true. Otherwise, you could read the Book of Mormon 50 times and you wouldn't get anything out of it. So then, and this is... You know, as we always say, we don't trifle with spiritual things and sacred things. And I know many in your audience and have probably had very spiritual experiences. But just in general terms, one night in the middle of the night, I was praying and saying, you know, is is Joseph Smith, was he a prophet of God? Is the Book of Mormon the word of God? And in the middle of the night, I woke up and my chest was on fire. My heart was just racing and, and burning. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. What, what's going on with that? And so I kind of sat there in the middle of the night, didn't think much about it, and we went back to sleep. The next day, I'm driving with uh, three other priesthood holders. They were working at the embassy with me down in Mexico City, and we were going to play basketball. And, of course, they knew I was investigating, but they were being cool. They weren't pressuring me. And they said, Hey, Osborne, how's, how's the investigating going? I said, 
you know, guys, this is this is kind of the weirdest thing that happened last night. I was in the middle of the night. I was kind of, I guess, having a dream about, you know, Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. And, you know, all of a sudden, my my, my chest is kind of burning. And it was sort of the, the, the best possible, you know, best feeling heart attack that I could ever have. I mean, it's just like weird. What's going on? And then don't you know that these Mormons, man, and their scriptures, one guy just pulls out his scriptures right away pulls something to the back of the triple combination and hands it to me. And I'm like, what? He goes, just read this. And I said, well, he goes, just read it. And of course, as you know, it was Doctrine and Covenants 9, 8 and 9. Behold, I say unto you, you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel it is right. So I'm thinking, Oh, man. And you know what happened? I started sweating and my heart started racing because I thought, no, 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 I don't want this to be true. No, no, because if this means it's true, this means I actually have to be a Mormon. And so, Eric, I was so stubborn and so natural, man. Listen to this. I, I start. I had this amazing spiritual experience. And I start explaining it away. I, I, I'm like, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. Remember we went out last night for the street tacos and my man put that salsa on there and I was eating it. And it's just got to be heartburn. I've just got a bad case of heartburn. So they like, look, man, you know, you know, this is true. And so I, I knew and it was then I knew and it was a little more investigating and there's still a lot of hemming and hawing, but I knew I had to do this. And so it was with a lot of reluctance, which is so funny because, again, God has been so generous to me and I've been such an unprofitable servant. But he finally let me know that, yes, this is true and that you have to now show the real intent. And so as I joke that after at the age of 41, I was baptized. And so, again, I joked that, you know, I said I had 41 years of sinning washed away from me. But then my LDS friends say, well, no, no, it was actually you know, 33 because the first eight don't count. You get those first right. eight for free. And so they tease me. But anyway, it's been a long trip. And if God has been more generous to me than he should have, but I'm so grateful to have done this, which is the best decision I've ever made and the hardest, as I'm sure you and so many other Latter-day Saints know that it's not easy to, to do this. No, not at all. And yet, once you've made that decision with the real intent that you talked about, you do have to make those changes in your life. So how did that work out for you? So again, remember, I'm a CIA officer. Now, again, you know, we don't talk too much about details and sources and methods, but there have been enough books and movies out there. And so, you know, the CIA's job is to get information, get secrets, provide, you know, get the right information into U.S. policymakers, presidents and national security advisors and others, get that information into their hands so they can make decisions. Well, you can imagine that one of the great ways that I would get information is I would go out and have a few drinks with someone working in, you know, the Mexican government or when I worked in Spain or Venezuela. And, you know, I knew how to manage my drinking and yet let them drink and give them information. So now all of a sudden, how do I do that without the alcohol? And so uh, I actually impressed myself with the, the kind of diplomat and intelligence officer I was able to become without the, without the alcohol. But that was, I think, one of the big changes. And then again, just sort of the lifestyle of, okay, I'm going to really try to keep the Sabbath day holy. And I'm going to give up, as I mentioned, some of my love of, you know, football games. And um, I was used, you know, used to going to church for 45 minutes on Sunday and that was it. And then I could do what I wanted during the week. But I was really trying to be a seven day a week Christian, a seven day a week follower of Christ. And 
certainly very imperfect, but those were, were starts and stumbles and, and they continue to this day. But my testimony is stronger than ever, continues to be strong. And I think there's a reason why God waited to reveal all of this to me, you know, through Tim Ballard, starting when I was first, you know, 28 years old, and then finally baptized at 41. Because I think Heavenly Father knows each of us, our strengths, our weaknesses. He knew that I was pretty much a natural man, a punk, and as I said, hard-hearted, thick-headed, that, that he knew that I probably had to experiment a little bit. And I wasn't a bad guy at all. I wasn't, didn't do a lot of bad things. But, you know, again, to realize that the grass is not greener on the other side. I had to actually walk through that pasture to realize, nope, this on the other side of the fence, this is where safety is. This is where security is. This is where the iron rod and the path to the tree is. And um, again, I know he has a sense of humor and I just give thanks every day that he didn't give up on this unprofitable servant. You know, a lot of times when we think about missionary work, we think about looking for people and introducing the gospel to our friends who have a need in their life. Maybe they're going through a difficult time or they have other reasons to look to God for help Mm -hmm. in their life. In your case, things were going well for you. You were accomplishing life goals. You had a happy marriage and family, and yet you still had room to accept the gospel and make changes in your life, which is a little different from what we hear sometimes. And yet what a difference it seems to have made for you. And that is a huge point, and I'm glad that you saw that and noticed that because that's something I try to, that message I try to share with both, you know, full-time missionaries and member missionaries alike, all of us, that it's not the proverbial man on the street down on his luck, uh, you know, give your stereotype. It's not always that. There are many people, and I would submit that nowadays more than ever with everything we have going on with the pandemic, social unrest, a failure of leadership around the world for the most part at at all levels uh, to try to deal with the problems we have, I believe there are more and more people who are in my case where, again, as you said, Eric, I didn't need this. Everything on paper was going well for me. The way the world would look, oh my gosh, this guy could want for nothing. But it's because... I had it all. It was because I was looking for answers to the three main questions. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? And I neglected to say that in my 13-year investigation off and on, I attended churches across the spectrum because we were traveling with the government or graduate school or my wife didn't speak Spanish. So we were looking for English congregations in the three areas we were posted overseas. So I attended maybe five or six different denominations and faiths And I will tell you that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only one that I've found that answered those three main questions. And obviously there are still questions. And as our leaders have told us, you know, we not all truth has been revealed to us now, but that was just the one that, that answered it all for me. And at the very end of the day, it was a scarier thought to disobey God and not go through with this and not join the church than it was to actually go into this, do this, even though I knew I was going to be mocked by my, you know, high school drinking buddies and, and cause distress in my marriage and with my in-laws and my parents. But at the end of the day, God knows, and, you know, to paraphrase Joseph Smith, and I know many of your listeners have had some of these same things, I knew that God knew, right? So it's, I can't, I couldn't get out of it because I knew that God knew that I knew. And for me, that said, you know what? I trust God no matter what. And I'm just very grateful that, as I mentioned, he didn't give up on me because he certainly had lots of opportunities to do so. 
Well, and you mentioned several outward manifestations of these changes that you've made in your life because of your conversion to the gospel, but really conversion is a change of heart. Yes. And I'm sure you've felt that as well. Well, absolutely. And again, I was a guy and I sure I'm still sure, you know, am and, you know, you can interview my wife sometime and she'll tell you all my weaknesses, but I um, have tried to really deal with those to not let things bother me as much. Obviously there are still challenges, still problems, but it really is having that eternal perspective. And I think that sometimes as Latter-day Saints, we get a little bit frustrated because we don't know everything right now. And because we think we should have all the answers, but that will come in time. And so for me, and I think for anyone who truly wants to know if this church is true or needs sometimes a little bit of a, you know, bucking up in their testimony, strengthening their testimony, let's not worry about what's happening a hundred miles down the road with eternities and all these things that we've been promised. Let's just concentrate on the two main questions. Is the Book of Mormon the Word of God, and was Joseph Smith a prophet of God? Because if one's true, the other's true. If one's not, yes. the other's not. But when you get that in your mind and settle that in your heart and in your head, it's easy to take each step along that path as we move towards a destination that's 100 miles down the road. I think it is very helpful to simplify it in that way, because it really does come down to those questions and then brings you around to the Savior and his role yes. in this whole plan of salvation. And to remember, too, that, again, and, I, and I'm, the first, I'm the one who's most guilty of this, thinking, oh, my gosh, right now, the year 2020, look what's happening, all these things, it's out of control, I can't control this. Yet, when you look at the scope of things, with what came before in the premortal existence and what's going to come after an eternity, this is truly of just a blip, isn't it? This is just a snap of the fingers, this life we're living right now. Yeah, certainly. Absolutely. And now you've got this perspective that's a little different. You have made sacred covenants with our Heavenly Father, and that has to change your outlook. As you look at yourself now versus before you made those covenants, how has your outlook changed? So for one, it has really shined a spotlight on me, my behavior, the need to clean the inner vessel, uh, you know, all of my human foibles and frailties frustrate me because I think, oh my gosh, look at all that the Lord has shared with me now and what I need to be as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, God doesn't love Mormons more than he loves his other kids, but he has given us the fullness of the restored gospel and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so to me, the change has made me realize truly that to whom much is given, much is expected. And so I have to continue to reach that bar. It also, again, has given me an eternal perspective in terms of, all right, let's do the best we can with our talents right now. So for me, it was, you know, leaving the government, and we can talk about that, and joining Operation Underground Railroad to help rescue children who are victims of human trafficking. So that's what I can do right now. I can try to help rescue as many of God's precious children as possible. But it really has to start with me. It has to make sure that I am as, as humble and righteous as possible. And it's a daily repentance. And that's what I love about our faith. And other faiths also preach this, but I really love about our faith where it talks about uh, the atonement being an infinite atonement and atoning for the before and the during and the after, and that we have to take advantage of repentance as hard as it is, as difficult as it is. And if we can just focus on being better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today, I believe God will recognize our efforts as he helps us to be what we want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your conversion experience is certainly inspiring. And you know, not only to members of the church who 
were associated with that or would like to be associated with a conversion experience like that. But I think it inspires all of us to to look and, and recognize that there are people among us that we may not recognize that have felt the same kinds of whisperings that you've felt, that have felt moved in certain directions or who have been impressed with members of the church as, as you referenced that you had. And, and so it really, Absolutely. for me at least, enlarges my perspective to say, hey, maybe I need to do a better job of being more outward in the way that I live my religion or speak of it and to be open. And it sounds like your friends were very effective in doing that to where you had those gospel conversations with them. It was no secret. Your admiration for them and the way they lived uh, was evident and they were willing to share with you. They were, they were, and I'm blessed for that and thankful. And you just made a really good point, Eric, that I need to make sure that I um, highlight is I've been told before by some of our local stake and area leaders when they hear my conversion story, and it's to be very clear that not every conversion story is going to be the same. And so, for instance, I did not see Heavenly Father or Jesus Christ. I did not hear voices. I did not have anything like that. I did have very powerful burning in the bosom moments. But I hope that no one thinks, well, wait a sec, I haven't you know, had these moments. And so does that mean that I don't know for sure? Well, as you know, everyone's testimony is different. And God knows exactly what everyone needs to know the truth. So many people, I'm sure, in the audience, just read the Book of Mormon, asked God, and got a feeling of peace and just knew in their heart. And you know what? That is just as powerful as my conversion story. And I would actually submit that perhaps it means that those who have just gotten peaceful feelings and just gotten clear thinking and know it's true, maybe means they're more spiritual. Maybe means they are more with it than someone like me who had to be shaken, who had to be, you know, have the burning of the chest. And so I just hope that people realize that, uh, that it's not all going to be the same. But on the other hand, if there are people listening who just really haven't had that or need to have some sort of confirmation that they have their knees they can get on, they have the Book of Mormon. And again, having the sincere heart and real intent, asking God, Heavenly Father will know the minimum each of us needs to know the truth. Does that make sense? And so once yeah. you have those feelings, once you know, don't doubt those and move forward, even as none of us have had the powerful experiences of Joseph Smith or Alma or Saul of Tarsus or anyone like that. Well, that's really where that exercise of faith comes into play. You've yes. felt something, now you're going to put it into action. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing your conversion experience with us. As I said, it's very inspiring. And I'm sure that not only has it been a blessing for you, but for many that have been involved in your conversion and since that time, as you've had opportunities to meet many members of the church and to serve. Thank you for joining us for part one of our podcast with Matt Osborne. Please join us for part two, where Matt talks about his career as a CIA agent and why he left his secure government job for a less stable position with a nonprofit, but how rescuing victims of sex trafficking has become an important part of his life. For Lone Star Latter-day Saint Voices, I'm Eric Egan.